Good morning. Welcome to the show. Happy Sunday morning. And y'all, I don't know about where you are, but where I am, we got one more week of school. <laughs> and and those of us who got a lot of little ones running around schools, we, it makes us a little happy um, uh, for a lot of reasons that we'll share on some other show. But to all the parents out there who are getting ready for this last week of school, and you know, they do half days. Why do they do half days? <laughs> don't get it but i understand jamie what they say is they do half days because the teachers need to be able to get ready to get their summer too so so uh hats off to the teachers take your half days and and people like me have to you know ask my boss to get off early uh to go pick up a few kids anyway y'all i'm excited about this show uh i've been hearing about this young lady, Chandra Farley, and I've been, uh, you know, sending um, social media out telling you about her as well. Uh, but she's a well-known um, entity uh, in energy. People know her well in energy and utility and and the climate justice circles and is a strong front runner, y'all, in the Democratic primary from the Georgia public for the Georgia Public Service Commission uh, to be held on May 24th. Now, that's coming up real quick. So I appreciate her taking time <laughs> to talk to us. Uh, currently, she's the CEO of Resolve. That's a consulting practice uh, with a mission to increase the impact of energy, climate, and utility initiatives by centering uh, equity. Uh, she also found she also founded the Good Energy Project with a vision to connect the transformational power of Black women to the movement for equitable clean energy. Y'all help me welcome her to the show. Her name is Chandra Farley, and she is in Georgia, y'all, where y'all know we've been talking about Georgia a lot and been impressed with Georgia. So we're going to talk to Chandra a little bit about it. Chandra, how you doing? I am doing wonderful, Sean. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for taking the time because I know you're busy and you got a primary election coming up here in a few days um, in Georgia. And after the state turned blue in 2020, it woke up both Republicans and Democrats, right, in Georgia. Can you tell us a little bit about your race and why, well, why an equitable, clean energy future is important to you? Yes, absolutely. And thank you, Sean, um, again, for the opportunity to join you in this conversation today. Yes, Team Chandra is feeling very excited um, about my win and about what this could mean for Georgia. Georgia has five commissioners that are elected based on five commission districts. And uh, when we talk about turning Georgia blue, um, we're not talking about the Public Service Commission. Um, so we have uh, two seats on the ballot um, for Public Service Commission each, elect, um, each election, which means we've got two opportunities this year to move Georgia forward uh, stronger together. and. An equitable, clean energy future is important to me and to our communities because it can be a vehicle to justice. 
we can alleviate poverty, we can live in healthier communities, and we can build community wealth through new business opportunities and family supporting wages when we are moving towards an equitable transition to clean energy. Yeah, and so that that makes sense to me, and it and it and it, it sounds it sounds good too. But but talk to us a little bit, like what is energy burden, right? Because I've heard you say that, and and how does it lock black and poor people into a cycle of poverty? Absolutely. So energy burden is defined as the percent of a person's income spent on energy. So the more your utility bills, the more money your utility bills take up a month, the higher your energy burden is. And this is also related to, to the you know amount of income. Sometimes this includes transportation. Uh, you can look up your state's energy burden on sites like WalletHub that actually just ranked Georgia fourth um, for, for energy costs. And uh, the Sierra Club also recently released a tool where you can calculate your own energy burden. So again, energy burden being that percent of a person's income spent on energy. And so 6%, if someone is spending 6% of their uh, monthly household income on their energy costs, then we consider that household energy burdened. Okay. And if that threshold, if that threshold reaches 10%, we consider that household in energy poverty. And so when we are talking about We've all talked about the light bill. You know, I, I grew up, many people talked about, uh, you know, how high the light bill is and what is happening when people can't afford to pay the light bill. We're making impossible choices, right? One in three Americans are making trade-offs every single month. Do I pay the light bill or do I buy groceries? Can I put gas in the car or can I pay the light bill? And when people are putting off paying their bills, they're racking up fees, right? Late fees, potential for disconnections, which includes other fees. Or they might be getting on plans like prepaid plans, which sometimes they end up paying more for energy than they would. And what we know, this was a study that the FDIC put out um, some years ago, is that one of the main reasons that people go to take out payday loans is to cover their utility bills. Mm, yeah, and we know that yeah. one of the main reasons that people go to churches for help is for help with their utility bills. So this is what we are talking about um, when we talk about energy burden um, and when we talk about the impact, um, that negative impact of energy burden on our communities. Yeah, and I tell you, it's one of those things that you can't underestimate, right? Because, I mean, one of the things my wife told me when we were first figuring out who was going to do what and all that was going to happen. She'd be like, look, all you, okay, whatever you say, you got it. As long as when I flip the switch, the lights come on, right? Because it's a, it, it's, it, it, <laughs> right, yeah, right. it can be a burden if it, if, if it doesn't. And we, when we hear of people, particularly in America, but anywhere that they're operating, they're living somewhere without, electricity you can't even imagine that right you can't fathom that because you know it's just not our way of life so add it to it being um a, a, a must in our life then it's one of those things that is at the top of your agenda so when you got to get it done you might go get a payday loan you might you know borrow from a friend right. to, to keep those lights yeah. on you've talked about energy yeah. you and you just mentioned a little bit ago about energy justice is there a difference 
in, in energy justice for uh, folks in the South um, versus folks in other places? Because you and I are in the South, right? Um, We're so so. Yeah. I wonder if there's some difference. Yeah. So you know, let's let's level set with the definition of, of energy justice, and energy justice refers to um, achieving social and economic fair social and economic participation in the energy system, but while also making sure we are addressing um, those historical, social, economic, and health burdens that we know fall disproportionately on Black communities, our Indigenous um, communities, and those historically disenfranchised um, by, by racism. So when we're talking about energy justice, um, it's like when I talked about why um, an equitable, clean energy future is, is so important. Um, we've got to make energy accessible, affordable, um, and democratically uh, managed for, for all communities. So I would say that the reason, so that applies to everyone, wherever we are. When we get into sort of talking about our unique geographies, you know, um, here in the South, we pay and have some of the highest energy burdens in the nation. Why is that? Well, it's hot down here, right? Right, right. I know it's, it's already been up to 95 this week in Atlanta, so I can only imagine, um, you know, what it's looking like in, in Tallahassee. And when it's hot, what do we have to do? We got to run the AC. That's right. And when we're running the AC more, what does that do? It makes the light bill. It makes our utility bills higher. It makes the light bills higher, right? So I would say that is one of the um, one of the things that we can talk about related to um, energy justice. So here in the South, um, a lot of the strategies that we want to push forward, and when I say we, you know, talking with advocates and talking with community members, are things like energy efficiency, which are you know, a group of strategies to make our homes um, healthier, you know, making sure the windows are sealed really good. So when we do turn on the air, it's not, you're just not blowing your money out the windows or making sure our doors, you know, don't have cracks under them and that they're sealed really good and have door stops, right? And, you know, Sean, I love to also talk about, like, these are things that we inherently know, right? All of us remember our grandmother, our auntie, our mama saying, shut that door, you're letting my air out. Turn <laughs> That's that right. light off That's before right. you leave the room. That's right. right. You know, these are strategies that our communities have depended on for centuries, you know, decades, you know, let's say. And now they have been repackaged and sold back to us as something that we can't access, something that we can't afford something that is wrapped up in a really confusing and expensive utility program. So when we talk about energy justice, we're talking about addressing all of those things, the strategies to make our bills lower and our homes healthier, but also addressing the actual systems that are creating barriers to our participation. Wow. Wow. That's smart. That's smart. Um, Listeners, if you're just tuning in, particularly our listeners in South Georgia, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Chandra Farley, who is, well, y'all, the leader in a Democratic primary for the Georgia Public Service Commission. Chandra, tell tell the listeners what the Public Service Commission is and what it does. Yes. So in Georgia, our Public Service Commission regulates 
Georgia Power Electricity, Gas, and Regulated Phone Utilities. So they decide where our energy comes from and how much we pay on our bills, our utility bills. So, so in Florida in particular, now, the energy and utilities, we have a public service commission as well and pretty much mm-hmm. do the same thing. And we've got an incredible woman, minority, brown person who is a trailblazer in Florida, attorney Lila Jaber. And, yes, but, yes. you know, in her advocacy, you know, she is trying to bring more women and people of color into um, energy and utilities. How did you come about, because you're running to do this, right? I mean, not a lot of people raise their hands and say, hey, I'm <laughs> yes. going to run because I love energy and, and, and utilities. How, tell us how you decided that this was the race for you. Yeah. So, you know, honestly, I just got tired of being mad. <laughs> and I have been doing work on um, energy, uh, utility, accountability, and climate change and, and some intersect, uh, at the intersection of justice for over a decade. And particularly over the last few years, any time that um, I was working on programs to, like the energy efficiency programs that that I mentioned, that I work with, you know, lots of wonderful advocates in in Georgia who we refer to as our our Just Energy um, Coalition, on these kinds of programs that we know can make bills more affordable that we know make our homes healthier and that we know uh, bring new jobs and can be positive economic development levers. And anytime you want to move forward a program like this or expand solar access to make sure everyone has access to solar, not just the utility, you have to go through the Public Service Commission. And the more I started to understand the outsized impact the Public Service Commission has on Georgians' quality of life and our ability to move forward towards a future that is bringing all people along and to see and directly experience a Public Service Commission who will throw up barriers to these opportunities, knowing that they have the power to do things differently. I decided it was time for me to, to take one of these seats for the people. <laughs> for the people. <laughs> for the people. Well, just speaking of a portion of the people, right? Um, actually, a large portion are our renters, right? I I wonder, when you talk about and advocate for energy justice, does that include the renters as well? Because as you know, black Americans, uh, we, we've, we've lost wealth and land, and more often than not, we don't own, we rent. So... I'm wondering whether your agenda, um, as you seek this office, does it include renters? Absolutely. And this is this is a key um, issue that we must address as we are exploring all vehicles to, to justice for oppressed people. And this is one of the things that becomes a, a big barrier um, when we are trying to move forward um, various energy efficiency programs because what happens is that it's something that's sometimes referred to as split incentives. So a landlord owns property, right? And they have renters. 
And there may be programs available to make bills more affordable, um, but maybe the renters don't know about it. Um, maybe the renters don't see, you know, they're already overcome and, and overwhelmed or don't see the value because it's like, oh, well, hey, I, I don't own this place anyway. And then on the other side, you have the landlords who are like, well, I'm not living there. I'm not going to, I don't care how high the bills are. Mm, Instead of right. looking at opportunities for to have energy efficiency programs increase their property values. Um, so, which we also have to be careful of because, um, as we know, when we talk about things like gentrification, we need to make sure that there are either rebates or incentives in place um, for landlords to make these kinds of improvements, but to um, have some ability to not raise the rent so the, the people already struggling to live there have to go somewhere else. So, and when we talked about energy burden, um, the energy burden for um, that, you know, black people, um, our indigenous communities, our rural communities is highest among renters for these very reasons. Right. Wow. Wow. You know, you're in Georgia and it's hard for me as we finish up here. It's hard for me to not try to get some advice from somebody in Georgia <laughs> since, you know, this show makes up South Georgia and North Florida. Um, what do y'all think? And by the way, congratulations to y'all. I mean, the work y'all done over the years to, to you know, turn that state blue uh, is just phenomenal. Um, and we look at y'all in awe pretty much because of the organization and and it looked like y'all worked together. And uh, whether you did or not, it looked like it. <laughs> um, so <laughs> what do you think Florida can learn from Georgia in its current current sort of rightward drift to undergo the same kind of change and, and get them to swing left? Well, thank you. And, you know, always like to say you're welcome to America <laughs> uh, from, from Georgia. <laughs> so um, appreciate that. I mean, Wow. Right. Uh, just just really amazing um, what what we have uh, been able to to do here and uh, will continue to do. There is lots of excitement in Georgia. And the one thing I always like to remind people is like this, this, this just didn't happen for the 2020 election. Right. When we talk about um, the ability to have an impact um, on an election, um, through organizing the way we did in Georgia, we always like to remind people that these are movements and coalitions that have been working together for a decade, you know, right. five years, eight years. Right. You know, organizing and mobilizing people is, and building power in our communities is long-term work. And that that is what people uh, must continue to understand um, is that you have to get in the fight and you have to be committed to uh, to the long-term work. You know, the, the march to justice is, is, is long. <laughs> and um, But we know with, if we're doing the work on the ground, if we're building strong partnerships across racial lines, across socioeconomic you know, demographics, all, all of those things, um, and listening and respecting each other, uh, Georgia's a big state, <laughs> you know, like Florida. The things that we are dealing with 
um, that might be the most um, top of line issue in the city of Atlanta proper are very different than what they are dealing with in Savannah or coastal Georgia in Brunswick. You know, they're on the coast, right? Or our friends in South Georgia, like Albany. And so a respect in coming together for the unique perspective and the unique lived experience that you bring from your community has to be respected, has to be elevated, and has to be looked at as the core of strength for the larger coalitions that can move the really transformative work that we saw the outcome of in 2020. Wow. Quick question and answer. Uh, do you think uh, that Biden's low approval ratings will affect the elections? I mean, we've seen that uh, last week that his numbers are, are the lowest than any other president at this point in time in the midterms. Um, uh, at least I thought that's what I read. Uh, I, uh, I think I yeah. read. We know they're low. Put it that way. <laughs> we know they're low. <laughs> Do you do you not think good. no? It's good. not looking good. But do but but how do you feel? I mean, how do you guys feel? Do you feel like it's going to affect the elections there? So I love this question because this is something that has been on my mind, and you know, in in talking with other advocates and organizers, it's like, wow, you know, we we made some big you know promises and really pulled in a big tent, you know, in doing that organizing through 2020 and. I think in some cases, you know, there there is con- some concern, but there is something, and this is one of the things about being a candidate, um, is that there's lots of opportunities to um, hear from our leaders. And so there's something, um, Senator Reverend Warnock, I've heard him say a few times, and some other advocates and, and organizers, um, let's look at the first black woman be appointed to the Supreme Court. That would not have happened if Georgians and America had not done what they did to get Biden elected and to get those two senators elected, right? So let's so that is we have to recognize the the power of that and understand what our electoral power means beyond the person who is sitting in the Oval Office, but the impact that person has to be able to make appointments, make decisions, um, and then to have senators who can influence those appointments, who are appropriating dollars. So, yeah, I think it's not looking good on the approval rating side, but, you know, this work for for justice and this work for equity um, really is so much bigger than that. And, you know, all politics is local, <laughs> you know, so I think I think we have to remember that as well. And as Georgia and many states are embarking on um, this midterm, we have got to remember that we have to keep going and we have to keep building power. Um, if we want to see more black women on the Supreme Court, if we want to see more federal dollars flow to our communities to do things like make energy more affordable and advance more um, equitable clean energy opportunities. So that's what I'm focusing on. I'm, I'm taking lessons and trying to, to share um, what we do have to be proud of and, and taking that encouragement um, through this race. Well, Chandra Farley, thank you so much. Uh, amen to all of that you just said. Uh, and hey, you got a, a big deal going on in two days here. And uh, we wish you the best. Uh, and we appreciate you taking a moment 
uh, to talk to us about um, just your just your philosophy on on this energy stuff because it's really really important and and you know what it comes full circle so what we do at the top lines as it relates to making sure it's affordable and making sure that we realize um, that it impacts everybody um, it, it, let me just say it this way we need people who understand it in a holistic kind of way so that sounds like you so we wish you the best thank you so much thank you for the opportunity i had a wonderful time um talking to you i'd also like to give a shout out to the tallahassee food network and uh, dr kasima boston and um others who i've been able to to do work with um through uh as we partner um across state state lines so uh, glad to have the opportunity to be with you today. All right. Thank you so much, Chandra, and good luck uh, this week. Uh, listeners, stay with us okay. uh, for a Pittman Point right after this. It's time for Pittman's Point on 96.1 Jams. Welcome back to the show, and it's now time for the Pittman Point. On Monday, y'all, after May 14th shooting, uh, black people from all over had to get up go to work, and pretend like everything was okay. As if, y'all, the Buffalo shooting on Saturday didn't happen. Anybody feel that way? Okay, I know. I, 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 know, I know I'm talking to everybody out there. Well, the truth is, the horror of things like this uh, is happening so frequently that people are, are pretty much numb to it. Like the lyrics to Tamala Mann's song, Take Me to the King, says, Truth is, I'm tired. Options are few. Being black in America is exhausting, y'all. Uh, we're angry, we're hurting, and we are tired of carrying the burden of being strong in the face of violence. This massacre was a crime against humanity, motivated by the belief that some human beings are actually subhuman. This same dehumanization of the other was used to justify slavery. Remember that? We all know that. As we recognize Emancipation Day in Florida, Commemorating when slaves learned of their freedom on May 20th, 1865, after hearing the reading of the Emancipation Proclamation in Tallahassee, 11 days, y'all, after the Civil War ended. Let us remember that every step and triumph we have uh, experienced to date uh, in fighting for equality, none of it's in vain. I'd like to believe that it is just delayed. We cannot force our fellow Americans to love each other, but at a minimum, we need to do everything possible to stop them from hating each other and above all, from harming and killing each other. This week's Pittman point is simply to, to keep going, y'all, to keep pushing, y'all. I, I, I know it can seem pointless at times when our efforts are bludgeoned with yet another violent hate crime, right? But we can't give up or even worse, we can't let the same hate seep into our minds and our soul. It'll eat us apart. We must keep organizing, educating one another, voting, 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 and fighting for common sense gun safety measures. We have to keep uh, demanding that our elected officials, y'all, elected officials hold those complicit in committing these hateful crimes accountable as well as the people standing in the shadows, curating the hate that radicalizes these young white supremacists. We are capable of action, meaning we can make a difference. Let's stop the next tragedy by investing in solutions that will reach the next would-be shooter before he or she decides it's uh, their only option to pick up a gun. 
Let's keep working together uh, to lessen the hatred that so dangerously divides us until we can stand firm and proclaim that our fight for equality is done. We are no longer slaves to an unjust system, y'all. We're finally free. Let's act that way and use that freedom at the polls. Vote, vote, vote. This has been the Sean Pittman Show, and we'll see you in seven. This is the Sean Pittman Show on 96.1 Jams, Tallahassee's big station. We got this.